Hey there, good girls, Sid here. Just want to remind you that we do indeed have a live show coming up December 15th at Stand Up New York, 8 p.m. Use code GOODGIRLS10. The girls are plural. There's two of us. For $10 off your ticket, our lineup is truly incredible. It is legally technically subject to change, but we have Jay Jordan, Caroline Banowitz, our good girl extraordinaire, will be doing a little bit of singing for us, and a pardon on Charla, which... We are still pinching ourselves that she's going to be gracing us with her presence. So if you want to come celebrate Becca Stevenson's 30th birthday with us, please get your tickets now because we do expect to sell out. I know, not to toot our own horn. Okay, also, we did a little merch drop over Thanksgiving. All the shipping is free, always. And we have some sweatshirts, we have some shirts, we've got some hats, we've got some mugs. If you would like to order any of our merch as a holiday gift, order it literally as you're listening to this episode because the deadline is quickly approaching. Today's guest is Ellie Kremendahl. That's E-L-Y-K-R-E-I-M-E-N-D-A-H-L. You're definitely going to want to follow Ellie on every platform if you don't already. Two minutes into the interview, so I'm saving you some time on how to spell it. Ellie is a queer comedian and writer and also psychotherapist. And all of these things that culminate perfectly into the shame spiral which features incredible guests like Amanda Seyfried talking about their shame. You can find the Shame Spiral podcast on all podcast platforms. While you're at it, follow Ellie on all the other platforms, but you probably already do. Ellie's going viral on Twitter and TikTok like weekly, so not hard to find. Before we get on with the show, I do want to say there is a content warning for addiction recovery and mental health. I was just wondering, do they teach you like how to speak soothingly and like therapy school is I'm sure it's not called that <laughs> I was just actually, waiting for you to say therapy school <laughs> actually that is what people call it like when oh, you're really? when you're in it you call it therapy school or at least like my people did mm-hmm. and no there's no sort of elocution cadence lessons whatsoever but I I wouldn't be surprised actually if you do sort of pick up by osmosis a sort of way of speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that I've kind of always talked like this, but I don't know. Well, I'm sure there's like, some element of like chicken or the egg, which yeah. you probably became a therapist because people found you soothing and things like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of became a therapist because I had an existential crisis. <laughs> That's fair. That's why I do comedy. So yeah. no, like, <laughs> Similar I, thing. yeah, like I was doing comedy and writing and performing and I was in my mid twenties and I was waiting tables and I was like, Oh no, like I need a career. Like I can't afford health insurance. Like what am I doing? And then I became a therapist and it's still my day job. But then like eight years ago or so, I was like, oh no, no, I still actually want to be a writer and a comedy person. And so it was just like a whole long, long route. But that means you really love it. Yeah, totally. totally. I'm sure it's good for, I don't know. I feel like comedy and therapy are so related for me of trying to unpack my feelings in therapy. And then I'm like, oh, that's actually an interesting joke idea. So I'm sure it's helpful on the other side too. I think, yeah, I mean, I think the sometimes I have regrets about like the path that I took, but mostly I feel like it's so helpful for my writing and comedy because I've just like lived a lot of life that is outside of that world. And I think that that can only be helpful, you know, and I have a lot more to say now than I did before so much had happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. should we get started with our first question? I feel like sure. you're already led into it so much. Okay, so we would love to know your good girl origin story. Okay, so I mean, I think that we could go way back. Like, I feel I was sort of like, was destined to be a good girl because that is what was projected onto me by my parents and I'm the first daughter and I had no choice like my parents whenever like now especially I have two kids and I'll be like they'll be acting out or something and my mom will be like you never did that you never did and I'm like what like yes I did like every child has tantrums and she'll be like not you (laughs) parents love to do that my sister and I talk about this all the time it's like she was a bad baby and I was a good baby. And it's like, it doesn't affect us as adults. <laughs> so no. we don't have to talk about it. Oh my God. But okay. So, I mean, there's like a lot there, but I kind of want to share with you the thing that came to my mind. Cause it's really weird, which is, it's not really like, I don't know if it's like origin, but in high school. So like I'm Jewish, but I went to high school in Illinois and this like very Christian, like white, sort of Americana town. And, um, it was cool to be Christian there and it was like cool to be involved in Christian things. So I had a lot of angst about that as a Jew. Um, and so one of the ways I dealt with it is I joined this choir called one voice where we sang Christian songs and then we went to nursing homes and sang for the elderly folks to brighten their day. And it was like, so wholesome and like to me like almost like fetishizing of goodness because I'm like a Jew and I'm from like a loud New York Jewish family and it was so quintessentially like Midwestern and Christian and Protestant and um and it did kind of like I got kind of involved in this like very wholesome community for a while kind of that was a part that was a big part of it and you loved it you know, I did kind of love it. I mean, I love singing and mm-hmm. I love to harmonize and I'm still friends with like all, we were all in, th- we were all theater kids together and one voice choir was like a thing we did also. Mm-hmm. I also ha- was in a lot of extracurriculars, which feels like a very good girl thing. Definitely. Uh-huh. Extremely. Yeah. You <laughs> Loving to, to sing in a choir as well. It's yes. right up there. Yeah. yeah. You get to school at 6am and you leave at 10pm. That's hundred <laughs> percent. It's a very and then you stay up till 2 a.m. doing your homework because you have to get an A. And mm-hmm. yeah, but I I kind of like, yeah, so I loved the social element and I loved harmonizing with my friends, which I guess is is pretty, it's a pretty goody, goody sort of thing to enjoy doing with my time as a 17-year-old. Definitely. <laughs> your college you essays know? were popping. <laughs> the Christian Seriously. part was weird because I think I did feel I was kind of like in a way, I'm just realizing this right now. In a way, I think it felt a little bad to me because I was never supposed to like anything Christian. Like if I, my parents were defensive about it. And so like, if I was like, that Christmas tree is pretty, my mom would be like, oh, Christmas. Like, oh, it's always about Christmas, you know? <laughs> so I think it felt a little bad to be like, I'm joining this choir, you know? And you can't, you're going to stop me from singing in nursing homes. Like, you know, <laughs> which is so weird. That's an incredible rebellion, <laughs> going to sing Christian songs to old people in nursing homes. That's pretty iconic, I would have to say. <laughs> so weird. I never thought about it like that until right now. 
That's really funny. Did they teach like Christian lessons in the group or was it just kind of the music? Because Christian music sometimes slaps. It does. You might even say it fucks. It's like really, really. <laughs> Becca wouldn't, but some people yeah. might. Becca still doesn't curse on air. It's, um, it's a, do, I have to do it for her. Do you not? Not really. It's it's not the podcast. It's it's Becca herself. Yeah, it's just sort of me. I will say I, you know, I'll, I'll drop in some some smaller words here and there, but I won't really say the F word. I need to know what that's about for you. I don't know. I mean, my well, my mom listens to the podcast, so I'm sure that has something to do with it. But also I just feel like I never really got like into cussing that much and then Mm -hmm. I think I got to a point where I was like kind of trying to do it and I was like people think this is weird from me Mm -hmm. (laughs) nobody wants to hear me cuss so I don't know I like I mean I joke about it on here but it also is just kind of how I talk so I'm like yeah I gotta curse a lot yeah it doesn't feel authentic to you yeah yeah that is so um that's pretty adorable not to like be, <laughs> be infantilizing. I know it like the authenticity part is really endearing. And also like you can, when you said like, when you described it as cussing, I was like, I, yeah, that took me out. Becca, you, well, that's just because I'm from the South. That. Sorry. <laughs> that's my little Southern girl coming through. I no, know. I know. Also, like my parents are, well, my mom will hear this, but whatever. But the, she'll say, like, she'll go to a comedy show and she'll say, that person was so vulgar. And what she means is they're either talking about sex or they're using the F word or probably both. Mm-hmm. And especially if they're not clever, it really bothers my parents because they're like, you know, at least be interesting. And they don't like yeah. that comedians tend to just like go for the shock value. So I feel like I'm even more aware of it than I used to be because I know that's how my parents feel about comedy. So I think yeah. I like have a heightened awareness of trying to be clean, even though I wouldn't say I'm like a clean comic, but I am. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I understand that conflict. I feel like that's just something that you move through at your own pace and with what feels, com- how, whatever feels comfortable for you. I mm-hmm. will say we are so nervous about breaking the rules that we make every single episode of this podcast explicit and it's simply maybe two out of three times. It's not, it we, so maybe I think I'm just dropping the F-bomb, the F-bomb. Yeah, there it goes. Um, <laughs> That's even worse than me saying cussing. <laughs> We're actually 12. I don't know I know. I'm like, oh my God, do you guys know? Like, I feel like I'm going to like, poison the two of you no we, and you're not the it. first person to say that yeah <laughs> being honest um someone's um good girl glossary entry was going going on a podcast where two girls ask if anything's off limits especially sex never talking about sex and then have to have someone else bring it up and then they go that's okay we don't have to talk about that that's oh the entry god. oh my god <laughs> we yeah. try we try yeah. We just, um, yeah. We very, we're working through our stuff on air very much. I love that so much and I respect it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm a weird, cause I, I feel like I made a really strong choice like many years ago to reject, like all to reject that projection. Um, and so I feel like I'm like, uh, like I wouldn't call myself a good girl anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but also that took me a long time. Also, there's nothing wrong with being a good girl, but I do feel like I'm going to poison you, but I'm going to try to let that go. 
It's okay. I don't think you're going to poison us. <laughs> I used to, when I was little and people would like curse around me or whatever, and they'd be like, oh, sorry. I'd be like, it's okay. I go to public school. I read the bathroom stalls. <laughs> I've seen it all. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, LOL. But I was like, that is, you know, I know bad words. <laughs> I've read them in the bathroom. I feel like this, this just came to me. You know how people go, don't say that little ears when little kids are around. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I would say that about myself. I'd go little ears. <laughs> <laughs> when you, you do were have a child. Ears. When I was a child. <laughs> yeah. That's so cute. The self-censoring is big with us, I will yeah. say. Yeah. But I think it's cool. I'm, I don't know. I think it's something that I'm trying to figure out as I'm getting older of like, what am I comfortable talking about? And what, yeah. what's something that is actually coming from me where I want to censor myself or what's something that I feel like I should. And so I think that's interesting, like your specific choice to reject that side of you and be like, I'm going to live my truth no matter what it is. I mean, it's really hard. Like I'm not doing that perfectly. I feel like it's ongoing, but I do feel like there was a moment even just a few years ago where I was like, I can't keep doing this, like protect, basically like monitoring my like writing and comedy and performing because I was imagining my family seeing it. And I was Mm like, I like at the time I was like, okay, I'm in my thirties. Like, this is unacceptable. (laughs) Like I can't, I can't live my life this way. It's like, if they see it, they have to actually deal with the feelings that it brings up for them. And that that's not my job, but that goes against like everything I ever was that was ingrained in me. So I'm just trying really hard to do that. And like my mother listens to my podcast and I've had a really hard time just I have to totally fake myself out when I'm doing it. So I don't think about that and let it change how I am because I just don't want to. Yeah. And you shouldn't, you know, yeah. you're grown up. You can say whatever you want to say, but know, it is but hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Does yeah. that affect how you parent? Do you think you have that in the back of your mind of like, you don't want to project anything onto your children? Oh my God. Yes. You're our totally. first guest with children. So we're very yeah, excited. We that earlier, which is wild. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, we talked to a lot of New York comedians and yeah, the, the Venn diagram, not huge. I feel like, <laughs> Oh no, not at all. Not at all. Um, I worry about it all the time. Yeah. I probably too much. I also have anxiety. So it's like, I'll just have like a normal, I think a very like regular sized passing anxious thought about like, Ooh, I hope I don't ever make my kid feel like her negative emotions are unacceptable. But then sometimes that becomes like an intrusive thought. And then sometimes I think I go like too far, you know, trying to mitigate that possibility, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. then I think maybe makes me weird, you know, like makes me, (laughs) makes me just act weird. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Parenting's really confusing. It I'm seems sure. it seems very scary. You're very brave. Oh, thanks. Well, especially I, now that there's like philosophies behind it. Like I kind of feel like I'm sure there were when we were kids too, but I feel like my parents just sort of parented. <laughs> they just yeah. didn't have a philosophy, not necessarily a guiding force. They just kind of went for it. And uh-huh. I feel like now it's like 
how do I make sure I don't give my children, you know, body issues and all of these things that Mm -hmm. I think are very important. But then you think about, I'm like, I worry about them and I don't have any kids. I'm worried about my future kids doing those things. Even that is kind of like, is so much because it's so much more than most of like my generation's parents, for sure. It's probably your generations too. Like they weren't really thinking about any of that. So the fact that like, you're already thinking about that now is like kind of everything like that. Well, that makes a huge difference just to be mindful about stuff like that. Um, I feel like I should bring up the fact that my dad is a psychologist and so I grew up with, but he's a sports psychologist, um, but still has like a PhD. So you didn't play sports, so he couldn't psychologize you. Couldn't psychologize. I mean, he's, oh, he still did. Um, he's one of those people would be like, dad, why are basketballs orange? And would have like a 40 minute answer about why basketballs were orange. And he'd be like, why do you think basketballs are orange? And I'm like, I'm, I don't, I don't. And then, then, and then I found out about Wikipedia and I was like, sorry, dad, no more. I can't do this anymore. Um, but his like whole thing is like youth sport coaching. Um, and he works for a company that their whole thing is to, um, it's called the positive coaching Alliance. I think I can say that. I don't know. It's not a secret. My dad's not in the CIA. I don't know why I said that. Um, but their whole thing is to like develop children, especially like elite child athletes and not mess them up for the rest of their lives because no one's career is athletics for forever. Um, and so, yeah, but I definitely felt psychologized. You did. As a kid. Yeah. But also in his defense, I had raging ADHD and was medicated. So I needed to be a little bit like, why are we having thoughts and feelings? Like you need to calm down. This is, this is a panic attack. You need to like go through, work through these things. Um, but I do think I'm better for it. I think I'm better for having him mm. be, be my dad. I do not resent the way that he raised me at all. So that was me working through that live. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I was like, how do I feel about having a dad that definitely like used psychological tactics and was like absolutely parenting me and my sister? Yeah. Um, and I feel good about it. I feel good about it. So mm-hmm. you should feel good about it. Dang. You're my dad. <laughs> I'm your dad. I love it. You know, it's really interesting because I don't know like how much, like I'm in, I think a lot about like, yeah, like, like Halloween candy, like what way was I going to like monitor if any hurt my older kids Halloween candy? Because I felt like there was a lot of stuff when I was growing up in my house about like, it was all very implicit just about like good foods and bad foods and like certain sizes of bodies being preferable and all of that. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like what I lean toward is very just like, not boundarylessness, but I'm kind of like, yeah, you can have candy. Like if your body's hungry for candy, just like have candy. But sometimes I think it goes like, I'm like, should I really be letting her have like M&Ms like at like eight in the morning? Like, I don't know, but I just don't want to like restrict too much. And I also don't like do like, like, I don't, I try not to be therapisty in any way because I, I also just, kind of in reaction to how I grew up, like really want my kids to feel like autonomous and like have agency and that I'm not like, basically that I'm not like suffocating them. But, but then I think that can go too far sometimes too, where I'm like, you good? Like, how are you doing over there? Are you okay? <laughs> you know? So it's all very confusing as I said before. Mm-hmm. How old are your children? 
So my older daughter is four and a half. Okay. And then I have a 17-month-old daughter. Baby. They're Baby. tiny. Um, well, I would love to talk a little bit about your podcast because I feel like good girl tendencies and shame go hand in hand. Um, we talk a lot about specifically, like I'm a really big rule follower. So is Sid. Um, we've both been impacted a lot by our religious backgrounds, I think, but we also both were dancers, which also comes with a lot of like rule following and respect for authorities and things like that. Um, so would just love if you could tell our audience a little bit about your podcast and kind of how you got to the point of wanting to talk about shame. Yeah, sure. Oh my God. Prom like promoting myself gives me so much anxiety. I just felt like <laughs> such a like pit in my stomach, but well, you don't have to do it, but no, no, it's no, a great no. podcast. And we think our you. listeners would love it. <laughs> no, I should. I should. I, I like Back to Venn diagrams, it's a circle. Yeah. <laughs> the people who would appreciate your podcast. Shame yeah. about promoting shame spiral. <laughs> okay, exactly. Um, I'm ashamed that I even like have a podcast. I'm like, you can listen. Don't, no worries if not. Like, it's fine. I will say when I'm like, I have to record the podcast. I'm like, I feel like I want to, I'm like, I have an appointment. Um, I have something to do. And then I'm like, I'm yeah. going to record the podcast that you don't listen to. So that's fine. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like I'm constantly with my friends, like, don't worry about it. You don't have to listen, but I do have it. And I am recording it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those, I wonder if we, I think we all feel this way where it's like, it's so important to us and we take it so seriously, but then you feel like a bozo for being like, I got to go do this thing. I'm so sorry. But then you like take such care editing it. And like, you really do mm -hmm. care about it. And so that's like a yeah. hard, that's like a hard line to tiptoe sometimes is like, how publicly earnest am I going to be? Well, we, Becca and I talk about this a lot about how like being earnest is embarrassing now. And like, you know, it feels like no one's allowed to be earnest anymore. You know, what is so crazy about that? And I do like, I do want to like talk about my podcast. Yes, can we, we, like, yes, can we we'll, circle we'll back? We're not going to yes, let you okay. escape. We're going to make you talk okay. about your podcast. No, because I, I am really passionate about my podcast. So I just want to make sure I like force myself to talk about it. But <laughs> what's so crazy about you saying that right now is while I was doing the dishes just like an hour ago, I had a thought of like, I, I feel like maybe being earnest is coming back into style because I feel like when I, like you guys are in your twenties, right? Yeah, I'm, like I'm barely <laughs> I'm gonna be 30 in like a month. <laughs> okay, but. okay, but that still counts. I feel like you're in your 20s until you're like 32. Great, I'll take it. <laughs> I think, I think. Okay, you but choose. so, yeah, so like I'm like 10 years older than you. So I feel like when I was like in my mid 20s, it was in like definitely early 20s, it was like cool to be earnest. Like it was still like the remnants of like, the earnest angsty nineties, I think like in the early aughts and where every, you know, just like grunge music and like everyone was just kind of like poetry. Like I remember when I first moved to New York city, I like got a gig, like writing my poetry all over the walls of this cafe in Bushwick. And it was all very earnest That's so and, it, cool. and it was cool. I swear yeah. to God, it was fucking cool. It was like rent. It was like how rent was cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And then I feel like that totally changed and it became like all about snark and and, and okay, so I've just like recently finally gotten involved with TikTok after resisting it for a long time. And now I'm obsessed. Welcome. But thank you. I love it. I actually think it's more fun than Twitter, but that might just be because it's like a new hyper fixation. Mm -hmm. 
but also I like seeing people's faces, but, um, oh, but so I'm like, you know, witnessing like the younger generation a lot. And I'm like, I feel like folks are like more earnest, like than they are on Twitter where I feel like there's more like older. I mean, there's a lot, every generation is on both apps, but I don't know. Something made me have that thought where I think what it was is that I was thinking about making a video of something that was like kind of snarky and then, and like not even snarky, like just kind of like really dark. And then I was like, Oh, I feel like people would be like mad at me about this. Whereas like on Twitter, people would like really like it. And then I was like, I feel like it's cause it's not earnest and like, um, you know, that people are, are responding more to more like I don't know, some like mm-hmm. a, a wholesome energy in some kind of way. And I don't know if I'm wrong though. What do you guys think? I think it's that. And I think it's also, I, I think people are starting to feel very icky about like making fun of people who are earnest to me. That's what I'm seeing more. It's not even necessarily mm. a return to, like, I don't think there's an abundance of earnest but I do think there is people really pulling back from calling people cringe and like Mm -hmm. making fun of people for just being themselves. And when I mean that, I mean like, um, just like people being like, let people be basic. Just let people be basic. They enjoy Mm -hmm. pumpkin spice latte. No one, no one's hurt by that. Like there's bigger fish to fry. We have to come together and take down Ticketmaster. That's what's important. (laughs) (laughs) So I think to me, that's what I'm seeing more, but I love the idea that being earnest is coming back. And also just like disqualifying yourself. I think people mm-hmm. are really over that. Like just be confident. Um, That's working, interesting. Working on that one. But when it's like, oh, I could never. It's like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, we all have imposter syndrome. Okay. So we're all at the same level now. Let's build from there. I think that that's what's sticking out to me, Becca. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Well, it's interesting because sometimes I'll see a TikTok and I will think this TikTok has a lot of likes and comments because people are being mean. And then I'll go look at it and people are being really nice. And I'm like, okay, so I'm the mean one. Good to know. <laughs> um, but I will like read through the comments and people, you know, some of them are people saying like, stop being mean to this person. They're living their best life. But most of the comments are just like, this makes me genuinely so happy. Like, thank you for enjoying yourself. And I feel like that is something that really does not exist on Twitter, especially, I mean, I feel like we're probably on the same like side of Twitter. I'm sure there are sides where people are just living yeah. life, but mm-hmm. I feel like comedy Twitter in particular is like such a level of snark and mm-hmm. which I kind of like because it's a character that you can put on even yeah. if, you know, you're not exactly the way that you come across on there. Like I like being able to have a little bit more of an edge on Twitter, but yeah. Um, I don't know the, have you seen the, the bejeweled Taylor Swift videos of the guy who just walks forward? I don't even know how to no. describe this dance. So it's, I'll, I'll send it to you, but it's this, uh, guy who's like probably 20 something and he's just walking to the beat of the music. And then he does this little spin and then he says, make the whole place shimmer. And for the audience, we're doing little spirit fingers Mm -hmm. and it's not a dance. It's simply not a (laughs) dance, but everyone is doing it. And like, I find myself listening to that song and like wanting to do it too. And we were talking about it with some of Sid's friends recently. And we were like, it is 
I think he's being serious. Like, I'm not sure. I think he's being serious. And instead of making fun of him, everybody's joining in. So I do think that there's like, TikTok is allowing some space for like, just letting people enjoy themselves that maybe other social media doesn't let you do. Can I say, I think, I think it's the Drew Barrymoreification of TikTok. <gasps> Maybe. And Kelly Clarkson. Actually, when you think about it, all of the snarky celebrities are kind of going down and all of the sweet, <laughs> seemingly yeah. wholesome celebrities are yeah. well loved. Yeah. Down with pranks as television. Mm-hmm. It makes me so uncomfortable. I hate pranks. Yeah. Ellen always yeah, made me pranks. so uncomfortable. But Drew yeah. Barrymore just kind of cries in the rain and everyone's like, yeah, it's time for all of us to cry in the rain. I know. But I feel like there's something that just being in proximity to like that kind of video and then seeing this outpouring of like earnest love and support, it's a little bit like healing to witness as like a former huge nerd who like, Mm -hmm. like I remember once like the kind of shit I did in high school, like the choir was like a small thing. Like I remember once my theater director asked me and a couple of my best friends, she was like, Hey, the, the orchestra is doing this this big performance. Do you guys want to embody different animals and run around the auditorium in the spirit of those animals? And like, without missing a beat, we were like, oh, we're so in like, yeah. And then we did it. And we were like living our best life. Like it was like so fun. We did not give a fuck what people thought. I found out later through someone who like later became my friend, like that everyone was just always like, those kids are like insane. Like what is wrong with them? But, (laughs) but I was genuinely like enjoying myself, you know? And I think that's great that people are sort of feeling that energy, like let people just kind of enjoy because everything is a fucking nightmare in our world and planet and society. I think it's definitely a reaction to that because I feel like, we're in this place where so much bad stuff is constantly happening and you just can't like add to it with more negativity. And so I feel like there's space finally for people who are just like being silly and being fun because we're just like so sick of being sad (laughs) and so sick of being mad, I think is a lot of it too. Yeah. I'm wondering if earnestness is like an economic indicator it might be. Oh. You know what? Say, you know what I, say more. Say you know more. what I mean by that? Okay, so um, there's like different things that are economic indicators. So this feels like something Becca knows. There was so an well. article recently, and I can't remember. Oh, lipstick sales. So are lipstick an sales, economic indicator. Um, In recessions, like, lipstick sales go up because it's a small oh. purchase. But there's also like hemlines. So um, in recessions, hemlines lower the like they'll rise during times of economic prosperity. Same thing with like men's haircuts or like hair gel during recessions. People like basically tend to button up more. And then during times of economic prosperity, um, things get like looser. You maybe feel like, yeah, I could wear a mini skirt. You don't have to take things as seriously. But there's also things that it's not sales. Um like necessarily economic indicator, but this thing happens, which mm-hmm. can indicate the economy. Um, I feel like cardboard is one of them where it's like more boxes are being shipped or things like that. I don't, these are not great examples, but there are plenty of examples on the internet. It's the Mandela effect of economics, basically <laughs> um, the hottest one. But I'm like really wondering if it has to do with the economy and like everyone 
feels like things are getting serious all of a sudden. Um, but during like an economic boom, we had college humor. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And well, like think- the onion and Buzzfeed. I don't know. Do you remember a couple years ago when like everyone was making unicorn products, like unicorn mm-hmm. frappuccinos? Mm-hmm. There was like a McDonald's, like everything was super. Oh, whimsical. Rebecca, I worked at Kohl's and that was my job was to get more unicorn products in our stores. That oh my god. Incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, we so I I work in advertising and at my old agency we used to do trends of the week and so we would just track different cultural trends and then like kind of tie it to marketing factors and the when we talked about like the world of whimsy is what we called it being like the world was really in a dark place and it was like around the time of like Trump's campaign and all of that. And then all this like super, super whimsical, magical stuff starts coming out. And it's like, we, I mean, obviously this was just our own like hypothesis, but our thought was that people are in such a dark place that they just want things that make them feel happy and are like more fantastical and things like that. So I feel like it's probably similar of, you know, when you're sick of hearing bad news all the time, you just want to see somebody on TikTok doing a dance and just having fun, just enjoying themselves. Yeah. Just being like so silly. Mm -hmm. Like I, I I like the silliness. It's really sweet. Like it makes me, I think it makes me feel good. Whereas like Twitter, like the dopamine makes me feel good Mm -hmm. when I like have like a tweet that does well but it also like doesn't even work it like doesn't even work that well anymore and I feel like generally the vibes are off like they're just not good I agree yeah Yeah. let's talk about your podcast before we forget yes (laughs) yeah okay but um it's called shame spiral the premise is that um I sort of bring my like bring slash exploit my therapy expertise (laughs) Co- you studied co- hard for that. You, I it's did. Not, you're not exploiting I it. I have a no. lot, of, a lot of student loans, <laughs> um, but that I that I kind of bring that um, background plus just like a current comic sensibility to conversations about shame and shame spiraling with artists and writers and comedians, and you know I kind of ask people this a series of questions around like their relationship to shame and what makes them spiral and what's it like when they spiral and everyone has to bring like one especially excruciating shame story and that's basically it and I just like I thought about doing a podcast for so long because like you know everyone has a podcast Mm -hmm. but I was like I'm just not gonna do it until I have something that I feel like very energized about And then when I, when this idea came to me, I was just like hit the ground running because I just, I get, I think about shame all the time. Like I'm someone who's prone to shame. Like it doesn't take a lot to make me descend, especially historically into like a, well, I'm bad. Like I am just a bad seed, you know? And Mm -hmm. now I know that so many of those things that evoke that narrative for me are just bullshit. Like it's none, none of them make me or like anyone a bad seed, but that's such a like just lifelong process of disentangling yourself from that. And and I think it's really interesting to talk to people about it and like destigmatize that. And I think that my idea was that kind of talking about it um in this open relational way could be like 
like provide relief, like bringing humor to it could just lessen it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do you experience secondhand shame? Listening. Mm -hmm. And as a therapist in general, I guess you probably hear a lot of shame stories. That's such an interesting question. No, I don't think I do. I think I feel so protected. Like when it's not my story, I feel Mm -hmm. a lot of empathy, like whether it's like with therapy clients or with folks I interview for my podcast and I feel like I'm like with them, but I don't descend into shame at all because I think it's so clear. It's like, it's not mine. And that feels like a huge relief, you know? That's great. (laughs) It would be bad if you were like, yeah, no, I (laughs) No, I have good. And maybe being a therapist has really helped me with that because I have really good boundaries about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like being with people without like taking on, um, I think that was like something I had to learn, but I feel really solid in that at this point. It's so interesting because when Becca like wrote that question in the Google doc, we were so curious and I'm like, the answer has to be yes. Is there a way to not do that? And so I'm sitting here at the mouth of the game like, huh, empathy. That's, that's a good answer. Wait, what would make you guys shame spiral, like in proximity to others, shame spiral? Like, would it be your own thing that gets triggered that's like related or would it be about their literal shame stuff? I think um, it depends. Yeah, Becca, go first. Well, I was just, I went to my hairdresser recently and she was telling me this story from high school where like just basically like, you know, teen movie level mean high school bullying. And when she was telling me about it, I was like, this is hurting my heart. And I thought about it like all oh. night. <laughs> like, oh my God. It really stuck with me. And I... I think I just have a problem with that in general because I can't like really tolerate sad movies, like Mm -hmm. books that have really bad things that happen in them. I have a really hard time with them. So I think it's a personal thing. And I feel like a lot of what I've tried to do is just like not consume those things. And now that I'm getting older, I'm like, well, that's not the solution. Like Mm -hmm. I need to figure out a way to consume things that make me uncomfortable without just like turning them off. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's it for me where I just feel so bad for the person. And then I just get kind of in this funk from it. Oh yeah. You, you should never be a therapist. No, I shouldn't. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about you said? Sometimes people tell me bad things that are happening Mm. to them. And I feel really, really guilty that I don't have enough empathy about it. Mm. Like if other people cry, I don't cry typically. Yeah. Um, I'm just like, Oh, that's so sad for you. So and I think then, that's like yeah. the shame thing. I'm like, Ooh, that's embarrassing. Ooh. Yeah. Does it so, make you worry that you're a sociopath all the time? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really, I mean, I feel like that's why so I should I, be a therapist. You <laughs> could be, I, you could be some therapists are definitely of the kind. And I went to school with some of these folks who are like, I just have always wanted to like, like I'm a highly, I grew up a highly sensitive child. Like I've always wanted to like care for people. Like I feel everything in the session, like whatever. And I feel like those therapists, if they don't like keep doing their own work, they just like burn out and have like really bad boundaries. I mean, I'm making a broad generalization, but that's tends to be, it's a, it's a, it's a risk. And then I feel like a lot of therapists also, which I feel like I'm in this camp are just kind of like, I am a robot. Like I always feel like I'm maybe a sociopath negligibly. So, and 
Um, I like, I'm so much more comfortable like listening to other people's shame stories. Like when it turns on to like my shame stuff, like that makes me spiral, but it's incredibly comfortable for me to be like interviewing someone else or like being a therapist, you know, like when I'm in therapy, I want to die, but, um, I can kind of like, I also like crave like really intense conversation. It's like the only kind of conversation I really want to have. It like feels, so I feel like I'm more just like, Ooh, like rather than like, Oh, which is kind of twisted. I'm a little twisted. I don't know. That's so funny. And that makes me feel so much better (laughs) all the time. Yes. Cause I, I guess I like Becca's very empathetic. I have a few of other friends. My sister's extremely empathetic. And I feel, I do, I feel guilt about it all the time that I'm not like that. Like, especially if we get into a tussle, like I will kind of just shut down. There's a famous train to Paris story that went very poorly. And my sister ended up crying. A couple months and I ago, was, right? Um, yes, this was just a few months ago. <laughs> um, and my sister is like crying um, because... I got snarky about something and I was like, well, that was just me releasing my emotions. And now I'm over it because I got to release my snark in like two seconds. I like said this thing where I was like, okay, I'm just trying to help. No one wants me to help. I'm just trying to help. And then just saying that made me feel better. And then she like took that and then carried that with her. And we are so different in that way. But I feel like I draw really empathetic people to me because Mm. I'm amazing. And (laughs) (laughs) that's how this conversation sounds right now. No, it Um, doesn't. No, it doesn't. But it makes me feel a lot better to know that yeah. like, I don't have to. It's the same thing with like you see something horrible on the news or like especially like in someone's Instagram story and then you like click past it and then you go, oh, no, I have to. I feel bad about that thing. So you go back and you just read the whole Instagram story a few times and you're like, I think I gave that enough space. I hope that my four, th- four seconds about thinking this horrible, thinking more about this horrible yeah. thing made it feel better. And then like, it doesn't. So it's the same kind of thing. Like I understand what I should be doing. Maybe not yeah. even should, but I well, feel like idea, I know. What I be doing. Yeah, yeah. You I feel, feel like, like there's an appropriate response mm-hmm. and, and you're not having it. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel, I mean, okay. So like, this is like, not just my theory at all, but I feel like it's something people talk about that I, that really resonates with me. And so maybe it will with you. Like, like I always thought it was like, I had no feelings, like, like I'm very intellectualized. So like, even sometimes if I'm like with clients or like on the podcast or just in conversation with people, it's like, I feel, it's almost like I feel the idea of empathy. Like I know that I care. I don't necessarily feel anything in my body. Like, I'm just kind of like, I care about you, but it's all very in my head. Um, and okay. So basically though, I think that that was like, I did not feel safe or encouraged to have any kind of complex emotion in my house growing up. Like only happy feelings were acceptable. Um, that was part of my like good girlness. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I just like learned to be really intellectualized. And but of course, like I know I have a lot of feelings and sometimes they come out. I'm sure you do too. But I think it's kind of like, well, I can't really, it's very scary to let them out because it might feel like you will get dragged down the well. And what if you like never come out again? So that's different than being a sociopath. I think it's actually just like a lot of feelings, so much so that it's scary. I relate to that very strongly. I didn't, I like, I would, my family would probably say 
other than my sister, because she says that she doesn't feel this way. But a lot of my family members say that, like, I was always happy. I was always smiling. You know, they never had to worry about me, stuff like that. And then I would get these severe stomach aches. And, like, looking back, I'm like, come on, guys. (laughs) Those were so obviously anxiety. And I don't really get that anymore because now I, like, have done a lot of work on trying to be able to voice and process my emotions and like sometimes that's overwhelming for me like I feel very overwhelmed by emotions but it's better than just getting like a crippling stomach ache and having to go home from school because I'm anxious about not studying for a test or something totally yeah it shows up in other ways Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, now feels like a good time to bring it down even further. We, uh. would, <laughs> we would love to know what made you sad. Yeah. I mean, I have like a very earnest, like pretty sad response, but it is like the obvious thing that's true for me, which is that like, you know, I was this very like golden girl archetype in high school, like uh, through high school where I was like everything that that means, like really good student, high plays, extracurriculars, the choir, all that shit. Um, And then, um, yeah, I went to college and I like realized I was queer. I mean, I knew I was queer already, but it was so like, it was so buried and compartmentalized. Um, But the kind of like, once I got to college, um, and sort of realized that I was going to need to come out if I was going to like survive life and that my parents were going to like, basically that I would no longer be that like golden girl. And also that they would maybe like, um, that it would like, it would just like totally change the way that they saw me and my role in the family and like my imagined future that was all very like co-created in the family dynamic um, everything kind of like crashed around me and I like descended into like really intense, like, and I was like bubbly and fun, like in high school, like I was like, Woo, that was a good time. And then I became like such an angsty, depressed, just like I, I like started doing so many drugs and drinking. I like ultimately became an alcoholic. Now I've been sober for like 13 years. So that's all like ends well, but it was not good for like a long time. And yeah. And I was just like filled with rage because, and then I did come out and it was as bad as I thought it would be. And so I was so angry. Like that's then what fueled the real shift. And like the rebellion is cause I was just like, fuck you. Like this was all based on a contract of like me being a particular person. I've violated the contract. Now you don't treat me the same way anymore. I, you're saying you love me, but I don't really feel loved in this moment. Um, I also feel the need to like take care of any listeners and tell you that my parents like really worked through this and they're great now. <laughs> so like, that's good. it is good. Like it mm-hmm. gets better. Things can change. But my early twenties was like, and like teen, like late teens were, was a very bad time in this way. Yeah. And so I was like, so angry. Like everything that I thought was true was like not. And um, it, it was based on all these contingencies And then I just like, kind of was like, I became kind of nihilistic and I was just like, just screw all of this. And I like, didn't do well in college. Like I was like, nope, like, nope, I don't care. Like I I remember getting my first like C, like 
and then like a D and then I like withdrew from a class and I was like that is not who I was and I was just like I don't care and I would like smoke weed all day and um and then and do what I want and and it's like there were really good powerful things about that like my parents wanted me to get like a corporate job like but I just, I was like, I refuse and I want to like wait tables and do like weird queer performance art. And I don't want to work in a corporate setting. And like, I don't want, I don't want your life, you know? <laughs> anyway, a lot of just rejection of all of it. I feel like I just talked so much. I'm sorry. No, that was great. That makes me I wanted really to- sad for you, but you've obviously come out <laughs> in a great place. No, it's like fine. It's like don't feel sad. I don't. I, I, see, this is why I don't like to share vulnerably because then I feel rife with anxiety. Like I feel like why did I just say any of the things I just said? I don't even. I, I can't. I can't. This is why I can't listen to myself on other people's podcasts. I. You seem. You seem so happy on the other side. Yeah, you have your family and your kiddos. Yeah. Maybe that's what this is all about. Is we're like, yeah, we're good girls gone sad, and like, I we're just yeah. It's not. It's it's not bad. It's just yeah. It's we, we don't like saying that because even like I don't know. People think good girls go bad, and I don't think people even know what that means when they say that. They're like, mm-hmm. it was in that catchy song, and we were all it was our thing for a while, and it's like yeah. it's it's impossible expectations to live up to and it comes crashing down at some point is that too dark are we good becca (laughs) no i i mean i think it's like the reason you're a good girl gone anything is because the good girl was like this act that you're putting on for so long yeah so i think everyone we talk to has come out on the other side a better person even if it's like hard to work through different things because you're finally being yourself which is sad we're not sad. It's good. On the no, other side. <laughs> and I, I think that like that your premise of this podcast is so evocative and smart because like, I always thought of myself kind of like as a good girl who went bad because I did go bad in such an extreme way with all these, like the classic tropes of that. And I think it made me really like hardened and like that whole experience, like that just time in my life made me really hardened and like mental illness and like alcoholism. Like it was a lot. Um, and, but you know, it made me kind of like, I feel like it's taken me a long time to start to be like soft again, like to like welcome tenderness and softness again. And going back to like what we were talking about with earnestness, like to be like, that's not weakness. Like, like, it's like, Like in my twenties, like I remember people being like, oh, like if someone was like, you seem happy, like I feel like my vibe would be to be like, like what is happiness? Like it's all, it's all a facade. Like I thought happiness was like disgusting, like as a reaction. And now I feel like you said that. And there's a part of me that said, you said like you, you're happy. And it's like, there's a part of me that pops up that that's that old story of like, Oh, that's embarrassing. Like it's embarrassing to be like content in my life. And I'm, I am an angsty person. Like that's just my nature. Like I'm always kind of like existential and like, but now the things that make me sad are kind of like things I could lose, like my family or the fact that our planet is like a shit show. The future is uncertain, like that kind of thing not hating myself like in a really intense way um and yeah that doesn't feel like as horrible anymore wonderful that's great yeah do you have have any tips as a therapist for how we can um 
acknowledge people better. You know what? I'm bad at that. I feel like it's more uncomfortable when people try in a very on the nose way to like really acknowledge in a way like I no, not what you just said, but like when people are really like, wow, like thank you for sharing your honesty with us. Like that's really yeah. overwhelming. I that makes like me really uncomfortable too. It's so bad. I feel like the what makes me feel the personally, and this is my personal biased view, is like if I share something really vulnerable. And then someone is like, oh my God, like that's fucked up. And like asks me a question or like relates. Like that makes mm-hmm. me feel like, ooh, this was like a good person to share this with because they're just now in the conversation with me rather than like I'm on like a scary, like separated little soapbox. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. 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 I want to be in it with someone. I want to be in the dirt with someone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But I think you guys are doing great. I don't feel like, um, I mean, like my feeling of like panic after I share anything, it happens in any context. And I think you guys feel like very comfortable and safe people to talk with. I think we do feel really lucky to be able to have these conversations with people. And I think the more we have them, the more it's like helping us figure out our own Mm -hmm. stuff. And I feel like Sometimes we'll talk to people and they're like, wow, I've never said that before. (laughs) That's Mm. a way of thinking about it. So I think like for people who don't love having uncomfortable conversations, it's been really good for us to like force ourselves to do that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're going to move on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We would love to know your entry into the good girl glossary, the definitive list of people, places, and things that make us good girls. Okay, wait. So I think I messed up. So the the I thought that that was my answer about the choir, but this is different. Oh, I think, but I think that choir, a Christian choir to sing to people in retirement homes is like a perfect okay, okay. entry. That's oh, it. So yeah, you can you can definitely bring something back from earlier in the episode, a callback. Um, for our listeners who aren't comedians, that's kind of what it's called. Um, but I actually, when you were saying that, I was like, if this is not the entry, this should be the entry. So I was going to call it out for you. So okay. it should be, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Perfect. Yeah. We love right. it. I absolutely accept that nomination. I, I second, I third, obviously I was going to force you to do it. So, um, <laughs> We like to officially put it in the glossary by all saying it in unison. I I just want to say the actual name of the choir, but it's still a functioning choir. But is that okay? If you feel comfortable doing it, I think that's great. Well, I didn't say anything bad about it. I loved it. Yeah, you (laughs) look like a very positive place. I think this is promo. I think you should be getting some residuals for your... Mm -hmm. Let's just, let's let's say one voice choir. One One voice voice choir. choir. I feel like I need to tell you guys a detail I just remembered, which is Mm -hmm. that when we performed in like nursing homes and churches and whatnot, we had rain, like we had polo shirts and Uh in color, in colors of the rainbow, like, you know, very, just like these preppy, extremely baggy, (laughs) no boobs showing in any way polo shirts. Did you BYO polo shirts or were they just assigned to you? Like everyone had the same size kind of vibes. I do not remember that, but I know we didn't get to pick a color. Like, I think we were mm. just kind of like given our, our, our official shirt. Mm. Rainbow. Was all there, colors of the rainbow. 
was there like a hierarchy was it like oh no i'm in orange and like all the cool kids are all in green no mm -mm. no <laughs> it sounds like such a lovely place yeah, i was you're like just, that's honestly great you're singing no politics, in one voice you know so what when i get together with my friends from high school i always try to get them to like there will just be a point in the night where i'm like hey guys can we can we uh sing brother james air like <laughs> Does it, do you guys remember it? Or what about like the Lord bless you and keep you? Like, can we do it? And everyone's the Lord bless you and keep you. you. I think I only remember like the alto two line. Of oh that. yeah. And then it's like the Lord make his face to, to shine, shine upon, upon you. you. <laughs> to shine upon you and be gracious. gracious. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you ever sing the orchestrated version of the something colossus did you ever have to mm. sing the inscription on the statue of liberty no <laughs> which is so funny because i'm not trying to alienate anybody here but it's give me your tired your poor your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore send thee thy hopeless tempest toss to me i lift my lamp beside the golden door and we were some of the most bright-eyed bushy-tailed young republicans in the country singing about welcoming immigrants into this land wow i can't believe you just did all of that i know i can believe i remember all that stuff like mm -hmm. all those old songs and stuff all right well this game which we're gonna get to now yeah. is called what's the name of the game shame nanigans Ooh, love it yes it was called shame shenanigans and then i was like <gasps> What was I thinking? It has to be shame nanigans. Marketing degree, putting it to use. Shame yes. nanigans. Love constantly, shame nanigans. Constantly. Um, yes, yeah, so this game is actually inspired by your shame game. Oh. Um, yes, so we we love the podcast. We loved the game. So we, we decided to kind of create a spinoff, if you will. Um, everyone should listen to it. Don't forget. So for each <laughs> It's question, called the shame spiral. Yes. Yes. For Ooh. each question, we have two shame-inducing scenarios, and one of them is real a thing that has oh. caused either me or Sid real shame and the other one is made up but okay. would cause us shame if it happened so you are just gonna guess which one is the real event and which one is made up and then you can get bonus points if you can figure out which one of it which one of us it's true for which honestly oh, okay. you've had some pretty revealing conversations so you might be able to do yeah okay okay I'm ready okay do you want, to go, you want first, me to go first? Yeah. yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Which of the following is a real good girl shame inducing event? A, forgetting your library book on the day it's due and being so nervous about it, you become physically ill or B, honking the horn at someone for cutting you off and then realizing it's your teacher. I think the first one is real. That's correct. correct. Yes. Do you know, who, do you have a guess? And I think, was? I think it's Sid. <gasps> No, no, it's Becca. It's Becca. It's me. Oh, <laughs> I got, okay. I made myself so sick that I had to go home. And then when I was home, I started sobbing and was like, I'm not really sick. I'm just nervous. And then oh. my mom was like, you want to just take the library book back to school? So I did. I should have figured that out with the stomach aches. That, yeah. was, that was a misattunement on my. All right, Becca. <laughs> All right. So number two, which the following is a real good girl shame inducing event. Is it A, going to a comedy show and asking one of the comedians if you have met before and they say, we went on a date? <gasps> or B, calling a wedding dress ugly as the sales associate knocks on the dressing room door to tell you the designer is here to see you in the dress? 
Okay, the second one. It's the first one. What? <laughs> but that was a good one, Sid. I feel like that was a good little red herring. Uh-huh. Because, well, because I know you're getting married. Mm-hmm. God damn it. You tricked me. And I'm not getting married because I went up to someone and said, <laughs> have we met before? And he's like, we went on a date. That is so humiliating. Yeah, it was not good. And our good friend, Rachel Lander, was there and went, no way. She And she laughed about it the entire night. And I wanted to simply pass away. And I want to make it clear, I actually didn't know this person was a comedian, which is why I was so confused why they were at this event. I was like, have we met before? Which I feel like in my defense means I've definitely recognized you. You're just very out of context in this place. This also was like two months ago. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> well, and the ir- or ironic, I don't know. The funny part is that Sid was like purposely trying to not go on dates with comedians and then accidentally mm-hmm. went on a date with somebody who then became a comedian a couple well, months later. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel like I'm really bombing this game. That's, That's okay. Right. <laughs> there are all things that like would happen to us. So uh-huh. I feel like. Actually, except for the honking the horn at somebody because I am too afraid of driving. Yeah, I actually okay. was, so I was talking to Michael, my fiance, and I was like, can you think of a good, like, fake thing that would bring me shame? And he said, honking your horn at someone. And I was like, yes, that would bring me shame, but that's not enough. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I need to yeah. add detail, but I also love that you know that I would never do that. <laughs> uh-huh. I did not think so, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like it's hard. I don't like, I like winning, and I like being really good at things. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is hard. This is really- well, you can still come from behind. We've got... <laughs> Four more. <laughs> okay. Already number three. Here we go. And you've number got this. Three. I believe in you. Okay. Yes. Okay. Which of the following is a real good girl shame inducing event? A, posting a joke about a guy you dated on TikTok, going viral, and then getting the, hey, is that video about me text? Okay. Or B, writing a new joke that works really well on stage and later hearing someone do a joke that was sort of similar. So you just never tell that joke ever again. Those are both so possible. <laughs> It's almost rude how possible both of them Yeah. Are. We made this hard. Yeah, you did. I'm feeling torn. Well. Nothing's fine, I'm torn. I know. I'm all <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the TikTok one. No? It's the other one. Okay, I I thought about, I, I okay, I didn't trust my gut. That I one's that one's not it. totally fair because one is like a thing, like an event, and the other one is just well, no, Becca, you have. This is hap- you this is your sorry, this is Becca's. I took yeah. away your opportunity for a point. Oh no, <laughs> that's okay. Credit. No, but this is like I see, I feel like I should have picked that one because I I really re- connect to like restricting yourself in that way, in a totally self-imposed, unnecessary way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The fear of every time I've posted, like every time I've tweeted something that kind of starts to take off, I'm like, oh no, I need to start to make sure nobody has tweeted anything similar ever again. (laughs) And I will delete, I will delete so fast. So well, even if there's Mm -hmm. just like a similar joke that you never saw, if, if it's like similar enough that it feels like somebody could be upset about it, I'll delete it. What is your joke? that you scrapped and like now don't do 
So I had a joke. It's actually evolved and I think it's better where it is now. So I will say, I think scrapping it was good in the long run, but I had a joke that was about the love languages. And I was talking about how Michael's love language is active service and my love language was all of them. And it was just like this little thing. It's <laughs> really and, funny. Thank you. Um, and Matthew Broussard, a much greater comedian than I had a similar joke that was like way better. And I was like, Ooh, yeah. Like mine was a little one-liner that like, fit into a larger joke and his was like a really fleshed out thing. So I was like, yeah, I can't, I don't feel like I can do it. But then I, I came up with a different version of it that I feel like works better. So, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not the first time I did have a few jokes when I first started comedy that were just like little clever one-liner kind of things that I scrapped because people had similar ones. And I was like, can't be, accidentally osmosising a joke from someone else we're not actually all that unique you know true we're all all trapped in the same human (laughs) nightmare same mortal coil for all of us literally so rude (laughs) so true okay we can do number four um which the following is real a, leaving the nail salon and realizing you left an 18% tip instead of 20 because you did the math wrong. Or B, listening to the leaked 10-minute version of All Too Well and getting absolutely ruined on the internet by Taylor Swift fans. Taylor Swift. Yes. <laughs> it happened to me. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't leave unless you guess. Um, yes, I posted... I had this TikTok that like was very positive about Taylor Swift. And then in the caption, I said just listened to all too well and it was incredible like I'm crying or whatever and like all the comments were like oh my god totally relate whatever and then this one person was like wow listening to the leaked version snake emoji and then everybody was commenting under like Taylor wouldn't appreciate this like tagging her being like red flag red flag red flag and I was like oh my god Taylor has so much money she can't be that concerned over a random girl getting this but I literally it like ruined my weekend like I felt so guilty I wanted to take it down I was going through responding to everybody like apologizing and then our friend Chris who's like very good at the internet was like stop doing that <laughs> he was like mm-hmm. it's not how the internet works let people attack you you're getting good engagement just like stop worrying about it and I was like mm, stop worrying about it it's not something I can do but it's really hard I have deleted hard. so many viral tweets because of stuff like that mm-hmm. like, just delete delete I will just say goodbye well at least on Twitter you can mute like you can't do that on TikTok so you are forced to read the comments no matter what true yeah well you're not forced to no one is forcing you to scroll down well I am forced by my lack of impulse (laughs) control (laughs) yeah 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 that's Mm -hmm. that's hard it's hard to not let it consume you and wasn't it an accident like you didn't know you were listening to the leaked version? Yeah, somebody sent it to me and didn't tell me what it was. And then I started listening and I was like, oh no. And, you know. Oh, so you were blameless. So you know, I, know I didn't pirate it or whatever. And like you, your side of the street is clean. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know. But I really, I was staying with my sister for some reason and Michael was there and he, they were like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> they were like, your whole personality has changed. You're like this quiet, shriveled up human checking your phone every five minutes. And I was like, I just feel so bad because I love Taylor Swift. <laughs> just, 
Yeah. Yeah, it was rough. She does, listeners. So if any of you have a ticket to give to Becca, give a ticket to Becca. See, this is my... Karma is not my boyfriend because I listened to the leaked version of the single. And so I didn't get I didn't get tickets even though I waited in the queue for five hours today. I actually took this out because I thought of a couple better things. But I did in fact get a ticket to Taylor Swift's Eras tour. And I felt so guilty telling Becca that I just did it. <laughs> she just dropped it as like, a, oh, I feel guilty that I have one. And I was like, what? You have one? <laughs> because I, I didn't know how else to say it. And then I was like, because I no. felt I wanted to add it to this game because I was like, this is the most shame I've felt in a long time. Like I legitimately do feel guilty. And so yeah, telling Becca was the hardest thing I did today. And Becca didn't get a ticket at all. And she's tried twice. Yeah. So I'm literally pan. I'm panicking. I'm sweating. Also, I'm, I'm okay. Um, next one. Which of the following is a real good girl shame inducing event? A, accidentally seeing a classmate's answer to a quiz, realize you were wrong, changing your answer to the correct one, and then tattling on yourself later. Or B, not holding onto a subway bar, then falling on top of someone as the train comes to a sudden halt. Okay, the first one. It's too specific. It's got to be the first one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who do yeah. you think it was? I think it was Becca. It was Sid. It was Sid. <gasps> See, this is not okay. See, Although I'm, I would also tattle on myself. Okay, so. because I'm using my listening skills and they betrayed me because just a little while ago, there was an exchange between the two of you where you were like, Sid would keep it, Becca would share mm-hmm. it. Well, I, I know it is. I tattled on surprising. myself. I tattled on myself a lot later. Okay. I remember it was like the end of the day and I was like, oh, graduation. I w- also, I want you to know it was a three question quiz and it was, what are the branches of the government? Oh my God. <laughs> I still remember to this day, like I can see myself. Like I think I had like bad allergies. And so I think I like got up to get a tissue. And as I was walking back, I saw it through someone's privacy folder. I still remember who it was off of Maddie Nick Gander. I don't think he's listening. And it was like, you had to match the branch to the building. And I just got two of them flipped. Um, and then I don't know, it was sixth grade. The teacher is like, a was like a close family friend. and was like, Sid, why did you tell me? You should just, just it's okay. And I remember that yeah. for the first time, like an adult told me to break the rules. Mm. Um, Honestly, a good life lesson, I would mm-hmm. say. Totally. I wish mm-hmm. I had been taught that lesson. <laughs> I have. I had another one that was so specific that I couldn't write it down. But um, um, are you familiar with like SAG AFTRA? And just yeah, I mean, in a cursory way. Right. So um, you know, like the waiver system. Mm -hmm. I have to get waivers to join. So I do a lot of background and I am in the union (laughs) in case anyone wants to hire me to do literally anything. (laughs) Um, But I was on set where there was some union people, some non-union people and a non-union person came up and was like, what is this union? Like it was someone who had never really done background before. And was like, what's this union thing? Like, I think I got the wrong slip and everyone's like, you could have like, no one would have asked questions. She could have just gotten a waiver. None of them would have happened. And I went, I would not have done that. And then the PA was like, and that's karma. You will see that come back to you in another life. I was kind of joking, but like it, <laughs> it rocked me to my core. Oh, definitely. This is a guy that's been yelling at people all day for really no reason. Like this, this man was rude, very rude, but he, the, the molehill he died on was this waiver thing. And I was like, this is a multi-million. It was 
it was literally insidious five this is like a huge horror film there was a ton of people there that day no one would have noticed and i was like to me a good pa would have just given it to her Totally, been like yeah. i don't know something the cracks but um yeah, that rocked me to my core it was too specific totally. but that is absolutely the most shame i felt recently wow Whew, okay That's horrible becca you want the last one last one yes which of the following is real sob is it sobbing in the car after a haircut because your mom told the stylist you hated it or is it telling someone their skirt is rising up and they just tell you that it's actually just that short <laughs> Those are both so good. Um, the first one. Correct. Correct. Yes. And and who was it? I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to lose one more time. Okay. Okay. Me. It was me. It was okay, Sid, okay. but I it have was... had very similar situations. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, so my hair was down to my butt and then I like chopped it all off, you know, like a very big dramatic haircut situation. Um, it was the first time I ever really cut it. And they kept telling me how short it was going to be. And I was like, that's really not that short. I don't believe you. And then of course I hated it. But anyway, my mom went back into in there and told her how much I hated it. And I was of course upset that I didn't like my hair, but then I was more upset that she told her I hated it. Yeah. And I do think there's something so specific about that being in a hair salon because there's really nothing that person can do. I'm like, yeah. image is done. You've already like getting your hair done is so emotional to me. Like it's, I get so much anxiety because like, what if I hate it? What if I feel like a new person? It's really, you know, that it's like going back in there and dealing with it again. It, it takes a strong person. So (sighs) yeah, this has actually been a very emotional game. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. You did a great job. I think you, you definitely got There were six questions. You ended up with six points because you got, some of the who got it, who did it, right? So you're good. You win. Okay, 100%. I win. All right. Yeah, don't, you don't certainly beat everyone else. All right, all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Also, who's the real loser? Us who feels this much shame over. Seriously. Oh, my God. I totally <laughs> really. i well. I get it. I, I think that these were all reasonable, <laughs> like, moments that are likely to evoke shame. And that the fact that you can laugh about it now is just, like, what more can you ask for, you know? Oh, that's true. I guess what we can ask for is you to plug yourself. This is what we call <laughs> passing the offertory plate. Oh, yeah. So if there's anything you'd like to like people to pour a little money into, tithe, Ooh. if you will. Ooh, the tithing bucket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, that always seems so crazy to me because Jews don't do that. Like, you know, that would be, that would be strange in the temple. Like I never really understood it. Like, it's kind of strange in general (laughs) like but like do do people at the church like are there dues or is this like the only time they pay the church so you're supposed to pay 10 percent of your salary every year but then that is just sort of like a couple dollars here and there although people like put checks in it and stuff i guess um but i think generally if you're tithing it's like a more formal process but Okay. Okay. I don't know. I've never really tied, but But like, you know, you'll give your kid a dollar to put in there or something. It's very like performative. Like people notice if you don't put anything in there. Oh, okay. Damn. Yeah. It's It's so interesting. It's like with the passing and it's like kind of a thing. If you don't put in it, it's like, like God's tip jar kind of. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Literally. <laughs> well, what I always appreciated, at least at our church, I don't know if it's a thing everywhere, you could tithe your time, talent, or treasure. 
So like if you didn't theoretically, I don't know if it actually played out like this politically, you know, Mm -hmm. but theoretically, if you didn't have a lot of money, you could devote your time or your talent. And I was always like, I am singing Psalms. Oh, you don't have time to devote. You have no talent. So you have to give your money like a boring person. (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but you so you have yet to um, put anything into the operatory plate yourself. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, the biggest thing that I'm doing right now, we've already talked about my podcast, Shame Spiral. I would love people to listen if they like your podcast. I feel like they might like my podcast. They mm-hmm. yeah. So listen to Shame Spiral. It's on all the places, um, and I it's at uh, Pod Shame Spiral on Instagram and Twitter. It has a banging intro song. Thank it you. Does, my friend yeah. Chadwick Wilde wrote it for me. And isn't it so good? I'd it's love really, it. really good. You should also follow Shadwick Wilde on Instagram. He's a wonderful musician. Yeah. I mean, besides that, like I'm working on a lot of writing projects, which are, is not anything that people can come see because they're just on my computer at the moment. But people can follow me on um, Twitter, which I'm just kind of like, unless it dies, but also... I'm also like comfortable with my like where I'm at on Twitter. And I would really like you to follow me on like TikTok and Instagram because mm-hmm. that's where I'm putting more of my energy lately. Doing You're being fun. a little more earnest. I'm being, being a little earnest. I'm doing fun videos. I like don't have as many followers. So it's a little more of like a fun challenge, you know? Amazing. Yeah. Becca. Yes, you can follow me on TikTok and Twitter at the real underscore Becca. You can follow me on Instagram at the Becca Stevenson. And as always, you can add me on LinkedIn. And you can follow me, Sid, at Sid period the period king on Instagram and TikTok. But don't even follow me on TikTok at this point. Just follow Good Girls Gone Sad on TikTok and Twitter, where we are Good Girls Gone Sad because there wasn't <laughs> enough characters for an I. And. Um, okay, you can follow me on Letterboxd, as I say all the time, and none of you do, which is really rude. Um, I see dumb stuff, and I want to talk about it. I love um, that. Follow <laughs> Luke Lima um, at skip to my Luke underscore. He, I don't know if you've heard it, but we also have a banging intro. Um, <laughs> and he created that with his two little DJ hands. Oh, and cool. <laughs> I don't this has gone what's happening this has gone up i think you made me feel too comfortable (laughs) listener sid is completely like lounged out in her chair (laughs) holding the microphone i'm more more reclined than i've ever been in my life um yeah you're basically on top of a piano in the 1920s She's got a boa on. She is holy. Yeah. Well, we, I always say I only do comedy because vaudeville is dead. <laughs> it's because I I lo- love- that is such a wonderful thing to always say. I really <laughs> love that for you. I just said I'd love to claim I've always said this thing that she said maybe like once and she's like, but you laughed, so I'll say it again. <laughs> I love it. I love that a lot. I love that commitment. Um, anything else? Oh, yes, absolutely come to our December 15th stand-up New York show. It's also Becca's birthday, so that's going to be a a show slash party. Um, and our lineup is shaping up to be one that literally Becca and I are like, if this person actually shows up in the building, we're going to cry. That's how excited we are. (gasps) We did some text message screaming yesterday, so (gasps) hopefully. Oh, 
Oh, that's I, so I'm like cool. nervous to even say. No, so we're not going to say. Into place. Oh my God. Can you tell me when we're not recording? Yes. Yes. yes okay. We can tell you when we're not recording. Um, and also Becca and I will be there, which should make you cry listeners because you love us so much. Okay. And I think, <laughs> I think for real Becca, there's only one more thing to say. And that is Jesus, Jesus wouldn't call wouldn't people whores on the internet. <laughs> Um, this is the final episode of this season. Oh, We're about to go on a little hiatus so Becca can go to the chapel and get married in oh, peace. Oh, cool. Yeah. But we're going to be back with the season two, we promise, because we already have so many people we want to have on next time. But in case it is, goodbye for now. We love you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Ellie. Thank Thanks you so for much. having you, Ellie. It was so fun. All right. We'll stop recording so you can tell you our secrets. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>